Sometimes I want to go with them. It's so fun down there. But we're going to have fun up here studying God's Word. Amen? Come on, come on back to me, please. Uh, we got 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The power of weakness. Power of weakness. Paul says, let me just read this verse to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is really the theme verse of the book. We're studying the book of 2 Corinthians together. We're walking through it because it has, I believe, so much to say to us in this American culture of wealth and power and prominence where we believe that those who are most wealthy, most well-known, most... uh, I just received this week, I I should have brought it in, maybe I'll share it with you next week, but Time Magazine every year does 100 of the most prominent people, uh, and if you look through it, you see time and time again, it's about wealth, it's about name, it's about power. Occasionally, they will throw someone in who is serving... Uh, and who is not well-known, but for the great vast majority, it is about what we would say is power in an American perspective or culture. Paul says in God's kingdom, it works differently. He says in God's kingdom, he said to me, my grace, this is the word of God to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, think about this. Would you rather... Be the most powerful person you could possibly be on your, in your own strength and own might and own intelligence? Or would you rather have the power of the creator of the universe indwelling you? Now, to me, that's a no-brainer. To me, I know, I know my limitations. I know that who I am and what I do is not going to take me very far. But when infused with the power of God, the one who out of nothing made something. How does that happen? Through our weakness. That's why Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong power of weakness. When we're weak and we understand our weakness, we confess our weakness, when we come to the end of our natural rope and let go of that rope and then let God take over and fill us, he takes what he's already given us in time, talents, abilities, and he infuses them with his power so that we are so much more than we could possibly be. Somebody should get excited about that. I mean, really, you should, you should, wherever you are, say, hallelujah, I'm pitiful, I'm weak. Thank you, God, I'm going to boast in my weakness. For some reason, I think there's, it's either me or you, or, or all of us. There's just this lethargy. This is going to be fun. This is really important, this message. I think we're going to talk about power and weakness. It, follow, it goes against our culture. Okay, let's just shift gears for a second. Let's see if we can go with a story. Have you ever gotten one of those uh, checks in the mail where they write you a check, but it's not really a check? You know, you open the check, you open it up, $2,000, $3,000, $5,000, 
whoa, somebody wrote me a check for $5,000. And then you start reading at the bottom, this is a loan. If you cash this check, you're, you're borrowing $5,000 or run this to the car dealership right away. This is a $2,000 down payment loan or something to buy. If you buy a brand new blah, blah, then you can get this. Have you ever gotten those in the mail? Anybody? I, mean, I think we all haven't. What do you do with those? You throw them away. Last November, we received a check in the mail from a place called the Network for Good for $40,000. Now, we looked at the check, and it looked like one of those checks. You know, the loan checks, the scam checks, the whatever checks you get in the mail. So we did what you did. We threw it away. About a month later, we got a phone call from Network for Good saying, why haven't you cashed our check? And we said something along the lines, who, who are you? <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. We've never, you know, Network for Good, doesn't that sound like, I don't know, it just didn't sound, you know, I mean, I could make up a name like that. Network for Better or Home, you know, whatever. I, I, I don't know. So we got the check, we threw it away, and uh, they called us a month later and said, no, we're legitimate. Look us up, look at our website. Here's some references. So we still were pretty skeptical, so they issued us another check. So we took it to the bank and said, we don't know who these people are. We're a little skeptical. Can you kind of isolate it and make sure it doesn't get in our account? It doesn't... Well, it turns out the Network for Good is a legitimate organization. And what... Uh, I, here are your questions. Number one, yes, it's a legitimate organization. What they do is they take money from someone who wants to give it to somebody else, but they don't want the somebody else to know who gave it to them. Are you with me? So they're like a third party, uh, I guess third party, they're a third organization. You give money to them. They in turn give to the organization, to the charitable organization that you desire without you knowing who it was. So if you're here, thanks. Uh, th- thanks this morning, because somebody gave our church $40,000. So here are your questions. Yes, it's a legitimate organization. Uh, no, we don't know who it was that blessed us. And third, no, we do not have so much money that we're tossing $40,000 checks all the time. The question, though, is really one of integrity. How do you know if something is real versus fake, especially in this day and age, it seems as if the line between real and fake is so, you can't, you can't really, Paul is facing this question when he's writing the Corinthian church. He's facing one of his credentials as an apostle being questioned. His integrity is being brought into question. Now, here's the focus of the problem. If you remember back to Sunday number one in this series, Paul had been to Corinth. He had left them after a year and a half of teaching. He he writes them a couple of letters, including the letter of 1 Corinthians, and then he leaves, he, doesn't go, he goes back afterwards. It's a horrible visit. He writes another letter that's a, a more severe letter. 
And he had said to them during that second visit he was going to come back again, but he has not been back to see them. So basically what's occurring, in a nutshell, I could expand it out. There's a lot of debate about timing and letters and everything that's taking place here. But the bottom line is Paul had promised he was going to come back to see them, and he has not come back yet. And so they're saying, hey, if you're an apostle and you said you were coming back and you didn't come back, then we're questioning your integrity. We're questioning your truthfulness. We're questioning, therefore, whether you're an apostle really or not. Do you understand the problem that Paul is facing? So he's going to write, and in this section, it's a long section, and I want to read the whole thing to you. It's, I'm going to read uh, chapter 1, verse 12, through the beginning of the second chapter. It's a little longer passage, and there's a lot hidden in here. There's a lot of meat, but basically, again, He's defending the fact that he has not yet come back to visit them and why he hasn't come back. And in the process, he's going to give us some principles about integrity that I want us to pull out of this passage so that we can look at it. Because I do believe this whole thing about truthfulness, veracity, being who we're supposed to be in public and in private is critical. Okay, let's read the passage, and then I'll preach it. Um, Verses 12, starting with verse 12, says this. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace, For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this. I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle then when I I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no? You see, he's going into the issue that they're challenging him on. And he goes on and says, But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not... Yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. Because it is by faith you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, 
Who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy, for I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. It's really important that you get the picture, because if not, you'll not really understand what Paul is saying here. He's, he's visited them. He's written in the letter of 1 Corinthians. He's come back to visit them and had this incredibly painful visit where it was just horrible. And basically, he said, I'm never coming back here again. He left them. He wrote a really severe letter that he's referring to. And now he's waiting to the effects of that letter take full hold before he comes back and sees them again. And in the process, he's saying, I'm doing this because God has told me to do this. This is not worldly wisdom. This is what God is speaking to me. So let's look at the power of integrity that Paul is unfolding within this whole passage. First, the power of integrity allows us to walk with a clear conscience. It allows us to walk with a clear conscience. He says in verse 12, now this is our boast, our conscience testifies that we've conducted ourselves in the world Relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. The story's told about a man who went to a doctor. He says to the doctor, Doc, I've been misbehaving and my conscience is troubling me. So the doctor says to him, basically, and you want something to strengthen your willpower? And the man says, "Uh, no, I was thinking of something to weaken my conscience. I mean, that's, that's really where we live in this age. We, we would rather have our conscience weakened than our willpower strengthened. There is no price, I believe, that can be play, paid for a clear conscience. I mean, really, to be able to go to bed at night and not worry about being found out, to not worry about being caught, how much is a clear conscience worth? How many people have hidden from other people because they felt like if they got close to those people, they might find out what they were really like? And as a result, they've isolated themselves. How many marriages have been destroyed because there are hidden things? Paul has been accused of some things, but he knows that in his conscience he has reacted correctly. He hasn't reacted out of worldly wisdom, but of God's wisdom. In other passages, he makes it strikingly clear that maintaining a clear conscience is important to him. (coughs) Excuse me, I swallowed wrong. (coughs) He said in Acts 24.16, So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. What is he striving for? Not to make his name known, but to keep his conscience clear. Contrast that with what he says about other people in 1 Timothy, where he says, Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Now, I want to stand in Paul's camp. 
I, I want to be in a place where my conscience is clear. Contrast that with people whose consciences have been cut off. This past Monday, an 18-year-old man was arrested in Springdale, Arkansas, after filling a water cup with soda at an Arkansas McDonald's. Here's the background. Three young men went through a drive-thru and asked for three large cups of water. They parked their car, they dumped their water, they took their cups into the McDonald's and started filling them up with Coke. The manager confronts them and says, you didn't pay for these. Two of the guys hand the fizzy water over to the manager, and the, man, the third one refuses. And he walks out with the, co- the, the Coke or whatever it was, the death drink, whatever that Coke stuff is. Anyway, he walks out with the Coke, gets in his car. The manager walks out and stands behind the car. The guy runs into him with his car. Manager comes around, tries to take the key out of the car. Kid runs into him again. So now, now the 18-year-old is facing felony theft charges over a $1.49 Coke from McDonald's. We have no conscience in our society. You know, these three boys probably thought, this is great. We'll dump the water. We'll... How many of you have got a water cup from a restaurant and then put drink in it? Don't raise your hand. My mom, uh, we went, when I was in college or seminary, I'm trying to think of when it was, we went to this uh, all-you-can-eat seafood place. But my mom ordered off the regular menu. She's like, you know, I really am not going to eat enough to all-you-can-eat, so I'm not going to spend the extra. I'm just going to order my plate of food. But I was, order, you know, I was getting everything. You know, when you go, you can eat, I'm like getting shrimp and clams, oyster. I'm getting everything I can get till I feel like I have, I'm going to throw up before I leave, that kind of feeling. You know, if you're going to do all you can eat, you've got to stuff it in there, right? And so my mom, my mom didn't order shrimp, but she reached over off of my plate and took one of my shrimp off my all-you-can-eat plate. A week later, she felt so guilty over eating that one shrimp that she sent a check for the entire meal to the manager of the restaurant. Because in her mind, a clear conscience is worth whatever you pay. Now, honestly, I wish I could say, wow, I was really, man, that just, it did speak to me. But my brother and I were like, I can't believe she did that. Blow it off, Mom. It was one shrimp. (laughs) This past week we celebrated, or some people celebrated. I didn't personally celebrate the 400th anniversary of the death of Shakespeare. But it was this past week, in case you were wondering or had it on your calendar somewhere. One of Shakespeare's great plays is Macbeth. Macbeth is a play about a conscience. You've got Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. Lady Macbeth convinces her husband to commit a murder. She appears to have absolutely no conscience in the whole thing. She appears from the outside to just be good with it. But in the play, she's found sleepwalking 
around the castle trying to get that dang spot off her hand. Remember that scene? The spot of guilt. Even in her sleep, she could not escape her conscience. She eventually commits suicide. Her husband is eventually killed. I mean, it's a play about murder and intrigue, but basically to me, it's a play about the conscience. It's about integrity. When you walk in integrity, then you can walk through life with a clear conscience. Second point, which I think if I just stopped right there, we should be able to say, wow, I I really do want to walk with my Lord and my Savior. I want to let my yes be yes and my no be no, which is what he's saying here in Christ it is. Second, though, it deepens our relationship with God, and I could have put our deepens our relationship with God and with others. He says in verses 18 and following, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it, was all, it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set a seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Paul's accusers have been saying that he vacillates between yes and no, and that he's not to be trusted. Therefore, he was not to be believed. Paul is saying that my, my integrity, my, my relationship with God is foremost. I stand answerable to him and really not to you. And that when I walk in yes to God, it deepens my relationship with him no matter what. And ultimately, he's going to say it deepens my relationship with you as well because I'm being faithful to God. How many of our relationships with God are damaged because of our lack of integrity? You know, the great thing about God is, the just unbelievable thing about God is, and if you look at it in this passage, His grace is still greater than our sin. I mean, He doesn't allow us to walk the path of continuing to lie, but he doesn't hold it against us when we do and ask him for his forgiveness. His grace is still there reaching out because he wants so badly. His desire, his heart is for relationship with me and you so that when when we mess up, we can come back to him and look what he says. He, he's already anointed us. He's got a seal of ownership on it. Uh, so he's put a spirit in, in our hearts. It's yes and amen already. And not walking in integrity, again, this is kind of a side point. It's, it damages our relationship with others. Now, people, people, unfortunately, are not near as forgiving as God. I mean, really, because once you start lying to them, it, even so, it's something that happens in you. What happened to Adam and Eve once they sinned? They want to hit. They want to hidden. They want to hide. They want to be hidden. They don't want to see God. 
They want, to, they want to isolate themselves and keep themselves in the dark. That's what happens when we start to sin and lie and we know our intent. We want it all, we want it all hidden. As a result, it damages our relationship with God. We want to stay hidden from Him. It damages our relationship with other people. We want to stay hidden from them. Paul is saying, look, if your yes is yes and your no is no, then you can stand in kind of a full assurance between God, before God, and before others. Paul's not hiding. He's not coming to them and saying, look, I'm not coming to you because I want to stay here. I'm coming to you to protect you. Because if I come there, I'm going to unleash on you. That's really what he's saying. I'm going to clean house when I get there. We'll see this later on. He's saying, it is an act of mercy that I have not come to see you yet. Wow. He's got a firm stand because he knows he stands before God in full assurance that, don't you want to be in that place before God? A full assurance, things moved out of the way so that we can walk with him. Amen, Pastor, I do. Yeah. Look at Job 1.8. I, I like to be like Job where the Lord could actually say, have you noticed my servant Bart? Maybe you won't say I'm the finest man in all the earth. But being blameless, a man of a complete integrity, he fears God and stays away from evil. That's who we want to be. Men and women of God, staying away from evil, fearing God, loving Him, walking in relationship with Him. Final point is that uh, it results in true love and real joy. True love and real joy. Let me read the passage and I'll comment on it. It, The end of chapter 23 and then skipping down to chapter 2. End of chapter 1, verse 23 says, I call God as my witness and I stake my life on it that it was in order to spare you that I I did not return to Corinth. Wow, if you're going to stake your life on something, you better better be sure, don't you think? Why? You want to despair them. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand firm. Skipping down to chapter 2, verse 3, he says, I had confidence in all of you that you would... All share my joy, for I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Paul's desire is is a relationship of joy and love with the Corinthian church. And he feels like, as a result of his integrity, being the same in public and in private, letting his yes be yes and his no be no, not walking according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's wisdom, that he can enter a relationship with joy with them, that God will draw them back to where he wants them. And he'll, he'll be able to come, not to discipline, but to rejoice. Think about it like this. If we're all walking in integrity and in obedience to the commands of Christ, especially the command to love the Lord our God with everything that we are and to love each other as ourselves. What a blessing. Amen? I mean, think about it. What a blessing that would be. What joy, what love we would be demonstrating between 
what God has done in us and through us and to one another. Instead, too many times we substitute a false joy for a true joy. We, we substitute a false idol of some sort. This summer, we're going to be doing a, a thing on intimacy with God, intimacy with one another on Wednesday nights. I, I was just stunned. I, I was just thinking about this this last week, and I'm going off track just for a minute, but I, I think this is for a purpose. God has called us to be a people who are fruitful and multiply. That was his command to Adam and Eve. It was his command to the church that we're to be disciple makers. It is, it, it's his command to us, right? That we're to be fruitful and multiply. If you don't agree with me, we're going to be here a long time. I mean, stay with me just for a second. Without going, being too graphic, if you're going to be fruitful and multiply, you've got to be intimate, right? I mean, from a physical standpoint, if you're going to have babies, I mean, I know science is moving on forward, but in general... <laughs> You gotta be, you gotta be intimate. In the same way, I believe if we as a church are going to be fruitful and multiply, we're going to be disciple makers. We have to be intimate, not just with one another, and not in the same sense, of course, but in a way that we know people and they know us. God has placed His seed within us, the seed of the gospel that's to be shared. And, and it's to be shared. Why? So that fullness will be big? No way. But so that God's kingdom will be lifted up. So that another person gets to spend eternity in relationship with God rather than eternity separated from God. But to do that, we have to be intimate with one another. We have to be intimate with the world. And here's my content. This is where I'm getting to today. A lack of integrity will isolate you. Because the enemy's ult- if God's ultimate goal is for us to be fruitful and multiply, what is the enemy's opposite end? Keep us sterile. How does he keep you sterile? He isolates you. I, 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 I'm going to preach this for one second. Just hang with me for a second. I, I believe the issue with pornography is not just about watching naked people on a computer. I believe that what it does, it substitutes false intimacy for real. Large article in Time magazine just came out where even the world is recognizing that young men who have been addicted to porn through their uh, puberty years, through teenagers, are now having disorders where they cannot react properly in a real relationship. Why? Because they've been robbed of real intimacy Real intimacy for the false. That's Satan's goal. I I don't think it's about... Pornography is bad, okay? But I think his ultimate end is much bigger than we we see. The whole uh, whole, uh, gay marriage agenda, same issue to me. It's about lack of fruitfulness. It's about lack of fruitfulness. The same thing in the church. He'll isolate us in any way that he can in order to keep us from being fruitful and multiplying. Anyway, and one of the ways he does it, coming back to this, is by saying, 
You get to be one way in private and another way in public. That's, by the way, called a lack of integrity. You are the same in the dark and out of the dark. When we started fullness, I'm sorry, I'm way off track here, but it could be the best part of the whole morning. Um, When we started fullness, one of the things I I really desired is that... um, I wouldn't be the same off stage as I was on stage. Maybe the opposite. I wouldn't be different on stage than I am off, right? That the way I talk would be the way I talk. My sense of humor would be my sense of humor. I'm sorry for that, for those of you who don't like my sense of humor. But that I would be genuine. It would be, it would be my voice that you hear. You see, I was raised in the church, and I was raised around preachers. My dad pretty well talks like he talks on stage and off, but I heard tons of preachers who talked one way when they were talking to me down on the second row, and then they got up here and they talked differently. You know, I mean, they all of a sudden they, they got a whole different tone to their voice, and they started emphasizing vowels I've never heard before. And, 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 and when I was young, I used to sit there and think, you don't talk to your family like that. You don't talk to, you didn't talk to me like, to me there was, really, I'm not, but for me it was an, I don't want to say lack of integrity, but it lessened the message of what they were saying because it was so different. I, I, I really have no desire to criticize, I'm just talking about what God spoke to me about, being the same on and off, off stage. Look, that's the way we are to be in our lives every moment of every day. Same, if I'm sitting in my easy chair at home and you come in and you watch television with me, I I pray that it's not, I don't have to change the channel. So that we're the same. Wherever we are. We are people of integrity. Because when I believe... Really, I, I think it, when that happens, we're a people who can walk through life with a clear conscience. Over the past months, one of the things I've missed since I fell in January is a good night's sleep. I really value a good night's sleep right now. Not because of my conscience, but because of my arm. I can't lay down. It hurts. I'm just getting to the point now where I can actually sleep through the night. Having a, a, a bad conscience is like having a broken arm. When you lay down at night, it comes out. When you start to let it be still at night is when it just, the enemy starts coming after you. Go through life with a clear conscience. Not only that, deepen your relationship with God and walk in true life, real joy. The psalmist says, guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is where? It is not in me, it's in you. Lord, I pray that today, that Fullness Christian Fellowship will be a people who walks in integrity with you, that we walk in life with you, that God, our our conscience would be pure before you. That we would be the same in private as we are in public. That, God, we would be a people who love you, who honor you. 
Because, Lord, I believe that as we do, we will be a people who reproduce for you. We'll be a disciple-making church, a people walking in love and joy. Just take a moment, church. Take a moment and examine and say, God, are there areas in my life where I need to I need to reorient here. Things that I've let slip in that if I don't take care of them now, they're going to they're going to grow and they're going to they're going to damage things. Things that are not of you. People, I'm not I'm not talking about becoming legalistic. I'm just talking about walking in the call of God on your life. That's really what Paul's saying. I'm not being, he's not being legalistic. He's just saying, I want to hear God. I want to let God's yes be yes in me. I want his promises released in my life. I want to walk. I want to battle for a clear conscience. spirit of truth. Everybody stand up with me if you would. I pray that this is one of those messages, I pray that kind of seep into you a little bit. That will you'll investigate it in your life. That you just won't blow it off you don't blow any of them off, honestly, but especially this one as you, we talk about who you are. I, I believe the Spirit of God will, will really minister life to you as you go through and think about this more, and He'll point out areas of your life to kind of make sure we're on track to be a life-giving church and a life-giving people. Tonight, come back, please, and worship with us at 6. You won't regret it. You will love being here. It'll be awesome. You know what I found in my life sometimes is that I can tell when God really wants to meet with me because those are usually the times it's a real battle for me to get back. I can't tell you how many meetings I've almost not gone to where God really did something incredible in my life because I was having to battle. I think tonight's going to be one of those encounters. You're going you're gonna to love just celebrating uh, with God and with... Um, Guiding Light Church, so unless you've got something else you got to do, don't sit home. Come, be a part of the body of Christ. Let me speak this prayer of blessing over you. You'll be dismissed. If you need prayer, if you need prayer, we're going to have some ministry teams to my left and to my right down here. Mitch is going to sing a song as we're dismissed after I'm after I give the blessing. If you need prayer for anything, healing, direction, freedom, maybe I've said something this morning. And you just sense that you need somebody to pray for you about this. Come and our ministry teams will be down here to pray for you. So if I have like two or three on this side, two or three on that side, ministry teams uh, to pray for people. 
as Mitch sings. And then the rest of us, you can either stay and sing, receive prayer, or you can fellowship with one. It's a beautiful day. Go outside on the veranda or whatever the patio area is called and, uh, and fellowship with one another before you leave. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Have a wonderful day in the Lord.